everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on the Evolution of Faith podcast. My name is David. And I'm Zach. Awesome. And we are excited about this conversation. This is a conversation that, to be honest with you, Zach and I have bounced around over the years. Even when we worked together once upon a time in Arizona, we'd be drawn up on the whiteboard and talking <laughs> about all the details. We've, in the past, in a past podcast that we ran, we had uh, a two-part series that was uh, kind of similar, at least within the same vein. But today, we're going to talk about the end times and prophecy and is our world coming to an end and what's God's purpose and how could we maybe understand how the Bible says it unfolds and to be honest with you it's a very very hot topic there's so many questions happening right now in our world and right now in just the conversations of I would say mainly Christ followers so if you're a church attendee or you're a Christ follower maybe you were raised in church it's probably happening that these questions are happening with you, your friends, your family, and maybe even within your mind. And so, Zach, um, tell us about your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, uh, first, just everything you said, probably is going to let everyone know that this will probably be a two, this will also probably be a two-part episode because we're not going to cram our usual 30-minute pod. Um, yeah, so right now I'm 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 teaching at a high school, I teach Bible classes, and um, <laughs> I, I was teaching through the Book of Leviticus, so keeping it exciting. The kids are they're loving it, they're diving into Leviticus. Everyone's if, favorite. <laughs> if anyone can do it, you could. Oh, thank I'm you. I'm just telling you, man. <laughs> it's, it's your bread and butter. <laughs> and um, you know, I, this is a class of freshmen, so they're always trying to sidetrack me and. Um, I imagine it was, it was based on maybe the boredom of Leviticus trying to see if I'd talk about something else, but I had one student, I'm just, I'm going shoots his hand up and I, you know, yes. And he's like, Mr. Z, are we living in the end times? And on my first thought, I was like, what did you get that from anything we're reading in Leviticus? <laughs> what are you getting that from in Leviticus? Um, but of course, you know, that, that freshman mind, he's not, he's not paying attention. He's thinking about other possibly relevant topics to the Bible. But to me, you know, even as like a, as, as a freshman student doing that to probably distract his Bible teacher, um, it still reflects like the uh, what's on many people's minds as Christians in America, that the end times comes and goes in terms of the things we want to talk about and the things we want to focus. It has its ebbs and flows. And, you know, David, I know you as a pastor, myself, when I was a pastor, we've had those people in church that come up to us and say, when are you going to preach about the end times? Um, And, (laughs) and, and it has its place, right? We don't want to, we don't want to ignore it. Um, But there tends to be moments where people become really, really focused on it. Yep. Some people are focused on it just all the time. Yeah. So we thought it'd be good for us to do a little pod here and and just uh, talk about the end times, talk a little bit about a specific view of the end times that really dominates really just here in the United States. Um, And I don't don't really know how much further to preamble that without just giving its name and and saying that's what we're going to talk about today. But it's it's a view known as dispensationalism. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
I, I just want to say I'm so sorry to all of you for theologians and our desire to make every word unnecessarily long. Um, but <laughs> it was called this dispensationalism. Um, and, and that's what we want to look at today. Uh, David, do, do we want to start with Daniel 9? Do we want to start big picture? What are you thinking? Dispensationalism. Let, let's go big picture. If you don't mind me just tossing a few things out and then I'll toss you to Daniel nine. Cause you, from what I understand, you taught on it. And so even though I've studied the heck out of it, I've argued it back and forth with people. I think you're, I think you're going to take us to a little better place. Um, but if I, if you don't mind me just tossing out a few things, uh, dispensationalism, well, there's really kind of two main, and I'm really generalizing and simplifying here. There's really two main theological tracks that we kind of see kind of side by side within what we would call uh, biblical Christianity here in 2023. The first one is kind of a covenantial view. And so what that means is that means that that when we look at the Bible and the story of what God has put in place and is unfolding for the future and his work, his redemptive work, history throughout it, we see that he's utilized covenant as his main means for doing stuff in the world. And so if, if you learn to look through that lens, what covenant is, is covenant is a form of relational kind of, uh, agreement, uh, entering into a relational partnership. Um, and there's different types of covenants and, and ceremonies within that. Um, but it, what we see in scripture is we see ever since even creation, there's been this inv invitation like of Adam and Eve, right? To enter into what God's the creator. And he's like, Hey, come co-create with me, come do stuff with me, enter in with me. And so there's this partnership involved. But when sin enters the world, what we see is that God sends out this plan where what he's going to do is he's going to continue to invite people, humanity, to partner with him as he brings about full redemption and restoration. And so he's like, hey, come be a part of me. And so so for Abraham specifically, the initial call, he says, he says, he says, I, I, you know, I will make you a great nation, which is, it's the Jewish people, right? I'll make you a great nation and by them, all nations will be blessed. So it's this partnership to bring about restoration and redemption. Where the difference is um, within kind of a historical or a classic view of 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 the redemptive history, this this what I would say covenantal view, is that all of the movements within Scripture that we see from Abraham to I mean we see Moses and we see David and we see all these different things happening leading up to Jesus, which we see Jeremiah calling this this new covenant, right? Uh, that that is is promised. We we tend to see that uh, classically as God doing one thing through the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. For, so one movement with all these movements within that. He's unfolding his redemptive plan. And so that's one way we could look at it, covenantal theology. And I'm oversimplifying the heck out of this. Um, the other track on, on this system that sits side by side 
is this concept of dispensationalism that we're talking about. Now, what it is, is instead of us seeing things as, as God utilizing these covenants as one big, one thing that he's doing, we see it as these different dispensations or movements within history, where in a sense, humans did something wrong or didn't quite live up to something. And so God decides for a period to then do something else. And and we, we see in this framework of dispensationalism is that there is going to be these different promises that are going to be fulfilled for Israel than for Christ followers that we call the church. So there's almost these two different promises, these two different roles, these two different vocations, these two different agreements and relationships that God has with the nation of Israel and with the church. And so that's kind of the two train tracks is that God is doing one thing that everything sits under, or God is doing multiple things and he's fulfilling his promise promises through these different relationships, Israel, the church. So that's a super high level. Now there's history to that. We could dig into because honestly, it's it, that, that framework has not been around since before 1830. And uh, it's particularly really only uh, really taken a root first and foremost in America of all places, which is why when you attend churches on Sundays, many American Christians are having these conversations that, to be honest with you, the global South Christians are not really having. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and because it's so kind of focused and central here in the U.S., um, the interesting piece of it too in the history is that it's kind of an assumed theology that most people um, probably don't know they have. I mean, many, many church attenders and followers of Jesus here in the U.S. aren't going to come to you and say, "I'm a dispensationalist." No, um, probably don't even know. Many don't know what it is, and understandable. It's not out of ignorance. It's just um, it's so built into the theology of many Protestant churches in the U.S. Um, that it's just the assumed, like it's the assumed capital T theology. Um, you know, you and what was that quote you were talking about? The zombies. That was yeah so you know i was listening to a podcast the other day that was talking about dispensationalism and what's interesting is dispensationalism in america in in your average churchgoer in america uh holds to this view of dispensationalism and israel is going to play a huge part in the end times and there the rapture theology is a part of that that there will be this Trip, seven-year tribulation, which is how you read Daniel 9 and a portion of Daniel 9, and that there'll be this rapture most likely before that. These beliefs are within this dispensational framework, which the majority of American Christians hold. But so if you if that's the body, so to speak, what you find is actually at academic level, so in the seminaries and in the research level, uh, the historical research level, all that, um, most of the scholarly and academic level does not hold to dispensationalism. Uh, 
And so the metaphor I heard on this podcast was that dispensationalism and this view of the end times is actually a zombie theology, which means that the academic portion of, of the faith or the mind part, the thinkers of the faith, um, don't hold to it, but the body's still walking as if it's existent and true. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, you know, for me, my own, my own, uh, exposure to other ideas. Cause I, I grew up in a, in a dispensationalist church again, wasn't on the title, right. It wasn't like first dispensational church, of, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, but that's how we talked about the end times, um, and other parts, you know, again, if we were talking about dispensation as a whole, we could think about all the different theolo- theological pieces there, but the end times is kind of the, where we really get the focus of it. But the way we talked about it was dispensationalist. And then it wasn't until I went into the academic settings of being at a seminary and um, hearing from professors and, and being exposed to different ideas about the end times that just unlocked new categories for me that I had, I didn't even ever consider before. Um, and, you know, it's interesting as you're with other students who also grow up with that. Some it's, it's resistance. All oh, my professors wrong. That's not what I've been taught. Um, thankfully for me, I went through that process to, to really dig through it and um, start asking all these questions about these things I, I used to believe in, like the rapture and um, perspective, different views of the end times that every conflict in the Middle East is a sign that Jesus is coming back. You know, we're, we're over a thousand on every prediction, but this time we know. Um <laughs> And starting to let go of those those concepts when it, when it comes to the end times and realizing, oh, some of the great thinkers of our time don't hold to that. Now, it's not, yep. I want to paint a broad picture and say, if you're a dispensationalist, uh, you're not that smart. And if you're not a dispensationalist, yep. you're really smart. I've actually, I actually have a, uh, had a professor at my seminary who was a, um, a progressive dispensationalist. Not progressive in political terms, but like a it was a new shape of dispensationalist, and I actually found him really engaging to talk to. Like he, um, he was academically so smart and could really make a compelling argument for this perspective of dispensationalism. And so again, we don't want to paint broad strokes here, yep. um, but in a sense that is kind of the general reality of it. So, yeah, um, yeah I think maybe let's. Let's talk a little bit about some of the specifics of dispensational when it comes to the end times. Sure. Yeah, and one of the things that that is common uh, is that, and and I had somebody who attended a small group who is uh, seminary trained come to me after one of their small group meetings and say, "Hey, David, they're talking about end times in Israel in a way where they don't know that there's any other view," and so. When we look at views of end times, what's interesting is, and I was talking to Zach about this before we hopped on, is really when there, there's multiple views of, say, Revelation, how, how we interpret Revelation. And there's really four typical views without going through them. And what we find is that dispensationalism, a lot of dispensationalism, lands with interpretation of Daniel 9. Um, and how that is going to unfold. And what's interesting is the interpretations of Daniel 9 sit side by side and fit like a glove with the interpretations, whatever you choose with Revelation. And so, if you look at the end times theology, 
Um, there's a, there's a lot, uh, in the determination of kind of the interpretation and the hermeneutics you're going to use. One of those is based around how we think through the millennial reign of Christ, which is mentioned in Revelation 20. And so in that, we have people that believe that it's literal. We have people that believe that it's figurative. And we actually have people that believe that um, if there is a a thousand-year reign of Christ that they can, uh, of peace that they can create, then Jesus will come back. So a lot of stuff is wrapped around what we believe about the millennium. But I would also go as far to say is that a lot of what we, the way we interpret it is wrapped around how we understand apocalyptic literature. And so Revelation is written as what we call apocalyptic literature. It's really its own genre. And so if we're going to read Revelation, we have to read it as the genre in which it is written. The hard thing is, is there's really no other book in our Bible that's written like it. And so there's a level of work that we have to do. And here's, I'll I'll just toss a couple of these things out. Um, when When we ask ourselves, okay, what's apocalyptic what what does that mean? It basically means to pull back the curtain, to see behind the curtain, to see what's really going on is really what it means. And the answer that I have found as I've studied is that apocalyptic work of John is to show the reality uh, what's behind the curtain and what's behind the curtain is that Jesus has died, he was risen, he he ascended, and all those things packaged together say, now we have this new gospel reality. And so it's saying, you may think that this is the reality, but in all reality, this is the reality. And so when we get there and we start reading Revelation, we then start asking, as we interpret, is this talking about something that happened then that they're trying to reframe? Or is it talking about something that's not literal at all? Or is it talking about something that is to come in the future? And so that's kind of how we approach the questions with interpretation. I don't know if you have anything else to add to that, but Daniel 9 plays a huge portion in how that sits side by side and a huge portion into whether or not we read these things as or through more dispensational lenses or not. You can't touch on this, but when it comes to end times, you hit more unnecessarily large, annoying theological terms like premillennialism, so before the millennium. Um, so that's dispensationalism holds to that, a very specific view of it. Uh-huh. Um, what we wait for is we wait for Christ to return, um, and there are going to be very clear signs. Um, and so th- that's part of the, the uniqueness of dispensationalism is, um, if I could be quite frank, an obsession with the signs that are pointing us to the end times. And so it's it's a reading of Revelation that, you know, is is it's funny because most of the sensationists, when I talk to them, it's they they'll say I take Revelation literary literally. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and yet they build symbolic images out of it. This represents, uh, you know, Russia, and this represents, you know, helicopters. helicopters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's it's a it's often a way of always trying to find matching things between uh, what's in my newspaper and what's here in Revelation, and is there a match? And oh, that feels like a match, and therefore we might be in the end times. Um, and so it's only seen revelation through the, it's just a, a predictive future thing. And it's mm -hmm. telling signs that we can map out. Um, you know, I, I grew up seeing the, the maps of the end times, this thing will happen and then this thing will happen. And then, and then this, and, um, I mean, if you've ever had the un unfortunate, um, uh, if you've ever unfortunately read left behind. Um, you know, that is a, that is a, a fantasy work of, Hey, what would it look like if these events that dispensationalism has mapped out, what would, what could that look like if this happened now? And so, um, that fits within the post, the pre-millennial, yep. there's post-millennial, which is like, um, what we're waiting for is, is the church to usher in a thousand years yep. of peace and prosperity that views not as popular right now. Um, and then there's all millennialism, which says again, we're reading Revelation a little bit more symbolically. And so the thousand years isn't quite a literal thing. It's a, it's a large number to talk about the age we're in now, the age from Christ's ascension to his return. It's he's ruling, he's king. Yep. Um, Christ is, you can kind of tell which one I'm, I'm leaning towards just by my language here, but, um, Christ is, is king. He's like, it's very clear that he's, done these things that it says in revelations he's he's in charge um and so we're in that now so that's like the all millennial view could, uh, could i cut in real quick and just add a historical thing with so those categories uh pre-millennial post-millennial and amillennial let me just for for history to set up this concept of how dispensational caught dispensationalism caught on in the 1800s the the main view that was taught in seminaries was actually post-millennialism this view of let's create a thousand years and christ will return and so what i would say is dispensational pre-millennialism <laughs> would not would not have caught on if that didn't exist and here's why they had all these I idealistic views and this is in the history books you can look at this in in church history there are all these views that if we create a thousand years of peace Christ will return and that they lived for that and there's all these missionary movements that are like we're not going to preach the cross of Christ we're just going to do good things to bring about peace and you know I was part of the fundamentalist movement growing up that was actually part of it was a reaction against that no we're preaching the sin and the cross you know and so and so there was always like I'm not into that liberal social gospel stuff because that's what it was it's like let's create peace that's what it was in the 1800s create peace jesus will come back and there was a lot of energy put behind it but here's what happened and a lot of people don't think through this when you look at history the civil war came and and, and the collapse of the south came and so all of a sudden there's this oh no we were trying to bring about peace and it didn't work yeah. and what it was was it was fertile soil for a different view to catch on
And that different view is the dispensational uh, premillennial premillennial view. Yeah. And and it wouldn't I don't think it wouldn't would have caught on to be honest with you because it came in 1830 with a guy by the name of John Darby caught hold in many different ways. I'm oversimplifying but many different ways <laughs> DL Moody, Schofield, uh as 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 America went out west, Moody Press was resourcing all these churches that were just popping up in all these towns and with with the the Civil War and collapse of the South, to be honest with you, they're like, oh, no, it didn't work. And so this concept of of premillennialism and dispensational premillennialism, because there was a premillennialism that we see in history. Yeah. Uh, another view. Premillennialism yeah. but, di- it's, but dispensational premillennialism that we're talking about is this idea of like, oh, like, like. Oh man, like things are gonna go down the tubes, but Jesus is gonna Jesus is gonna yeah. come first and, and take us home so we don't yeah. have to deal with it. it. It caught on for a reason and it was because it gave people hope, but it wasn't actually the view that was being held up into that point, and it never really existed before 1830. Yeah, yeah and, and you, you kind of touched on it too, but the the distinction between dispensational premillennialism again so sorry about these names uh and kind of like a historical premillennialism is that rapture piece waiting for christ to zap us out of this earth that's the distinction that's part of many of the distinctions between dispensational premillennialism so you could still say hey i feel compelled that what revelation says about a thousand years um sounds like all these things are going to happen before that i feel compelled by that but I don't really hold to some of these dispensational things about the rapture and the role of Israel. Well, that's okay. There's, there's a version of that that's historical that um, mm-hmm. many in kind of the early church fathers held to. You know, it's kind of interesting how they've kind of ebbed and flowed. Like all millennialism was pretty popular with Augustine. Like he was a, he was a big all millennialist who was even popular with the reformers. So it's kind of, yeah. Know, like random fact, and just to throw out, this is another, I'm a history nerd. So like, this is random fact. When Constantine came to power, it was after set seven years of really hard persecution. And so there were actually some Christians because Constantine actually united the, the, the empire. And then it, it became Christianity became an official religion. Um, it didn't become the official religion until a little while down the road, but it came in an official religion of the Roman empire. And so there were actually some people that believed that Constantine was Jesus Hmm. embodied it, like it it is happening and that those were the ones that held to that historical premillennial view yeah 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 um so yeah the history you know it's kind of funny too like the the seminary to which i was exposed to ideas counter to dispensationalism is a seminary that was started by the dispensationalist movement so um it's kind of funny how that that's worked around but you know part of that too when dispensation really started was it became really popular among um pastors who didn't have a seminary education and so when it spread like wildfire in the u.s it wasn't really tested in the academic circle because yeah. they were on the east coast yeah so yeah. it's kind of 
it's interesting now to think of like, you know, places like Princeton and Duke and um, some of those Ivy League schools. Those were like these seminaries of great Christian thought at the time. And it just didn't hit those places like it was um, in the South and even Western parts of the U.S. where the dispensation movement really swept across and there wasn't seminaries in place there to really test it. And then the dispensationalist movement created seminaries around their ideas. Um, and it's funny to see those dispensationalist seminaries now having teachers who are like, no, I, I don't believe in yeah. this. Yeah. Again, it's that zombie piece of like at, yeah. the, at the, at the thought level of our faith currently at the, at the seminary level, generally, again, there's, there's, there's good thoughtful Christ yeah. followers that are dispensationalists, but generally it, it's kind of left the building of the brain of, of, of our Christian faith. Yeah. What we're looking at here, you know, we're, we're speaking of dispensation. There's so many key elements to it that we can, we, we can get to, but um, if you, if you've ever felt like, Oh, I think we're living in the end times because this event is happening, or you've heard people say that that's like that influence of, of dispensationalism. Um, and there's, to me, there's this compelling picture of, of Jesus who says, I don't know. Like if Jesus says, I don't know when this is happening. Um, and, and so we want to have a humble position when it comes to the end times, because again, we're, we're batting zero when it comes to being right on end times predictions. We're, we're oh for a million, uh, <laughs> being right on it. And so we want to have a humble posture, right? Um, but we also, Jesus does tell us to, to be prepared for my arrival. It will come like a thief in the night. Um, and so we hold those two things in tension. We want, we don't want to ignore the possibility, the reality that Christ can come back. We also want to be careful to think that we can piece it together, that we can say, because this is happening, we know Jesus is going to come back. And that's the unfortunate kind of reality of the dispensationalist reading of end times is it tries to hand us this authority that Jesus himself didn't even consider to have in knowing when the end times are happening. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the other piece of it, too, is we want to go be good readers of Scripture. And so when we get into that Daniel 9 text and some other texts in our next episode is, you know, we're going to look at the dispensationalist view of these. And I imagine if you have read Daniel 9 or you read it before the episode that you may have been exposed to different dispensationalist readings of this. And we want to say, hey, there's other great ways to think about the big picture of the Bible. And it, this isn't also just about the end times. It also has to do with how we understand salvation. Did, did Jesus come for everyone or is there a separate track of salvation for, uh, for the Israelites? Um, how is God bringing unity there? And yeah. in the very current situation of our life, what does this, you know, dispensation, dispensationalism, um, is deeply involved in the conversations between U U.S. Christians and their perspective on the actual current modern state of Israel. Yeah. Um, as you can imagine, that has a, has a lot to do now. So, um, yeah, th this is this is not just a purely academic conversation. It has implications for for real life, for personal life. How are you viewing um, your preparation for Jesus coming and the things that you are focused on, um, you know, even as you're talking about post-millennialism, right? Like yep. that compelled people to do social justice and good works. Um, 
premillennialism tends to dispensationalist premillennialism tends to push people to focus merely on um you know a short gospel message of get get on the bus out of here you know yep. um jesus in your heart well you know kind of a more evangelistic if we're just going you know spread the gospel so these things do have have a role in, in how you're living and so um, we're hoping by looking at these texts in our next episode, we can kind of reshape the way we read our Bible and understand the world around us. Exactly. Hey, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Check us out in our next episode. We're all over social media and uh, both Zach and I, and as well as Evolution of Faith podcast. So make sure that you uh, follow us. Make sure you leave uh, any reviews you'd like to leave and tell your friends. Good ones. <laughs> Good ones, please. Anyway, we'll see you on our next episode. Thanks for listening.